it's a brave new world. Big Brother is out there, and he wants to take your temperature. Welcome to Exit 43, where we take a deep dive into things you probably didn't know about. My name is Jordan Fenster. On this episode, Medical Data Collection. How computers are involved in our physical and mental health care. I should start by saying that this is a huge issue. We could probably do 10 podcast episodes about it, about the legalities, the history, the likely future, and the push and pull between academia and social policy. We're going to touch only briefly on all of those points in the next few minutes. With regard to physical health, I'd like to introduce you to Cameron Chell. And uh, I'm the CEO of uh, Dragonfly Inc., which is the oldest operating drone manufacturer uh, in the world. You may have actually heard this story already. Chell's company developed a drone that could take your temperature from hundreds of feet up. It was supposed to be rolled out in Westport, Connecticut. That was the position that Westport uh, was coming from. How do we have a situation or how do we gauge whether our social distancing is working? How do we get stats on ensuring or trying to help ensure that we don't have a resurgence or uh, don't become you know, a key epicenter or something like that again? That's, that's our responsibility. The drone could tell if you're social distancing, it could tell if you were wearing a face mask. And then consequently, what would be great also is if you could correlate that with health population measurement. So what are the heart rates? What are the respiratory rates? Like basically, what's the infectious or the respiratory disease potential rate, you know, in a given area or a given location at a given time? So Chell and his company strike a deal with Westport. The problem is residents didn't love the idea. The great thing about Westport was, quite frankly, when when they, they were very transparent about it. They were like, no, listen, we need to be in the public about this. We need to let them know what's going on. And so I, you know, so we really felt comfortable getting to work with them because they came from the right place. They were being very transparent about it. And then when there was the backlash, which I think really came from a misunderstanding of what the technology was aimed to do and what it can do, uh, they were very quick to say, hey, this isn't, this isn't what our, our community wants. So we're not going to do it. I asked Chell to clarify, because I've seen the science fiction movies. It seems to me that his technology certainly could open the door to Big Brother. You go outside with a temperature or without a face mask, and before you can cough, a police car rolls up. Chell said, this isn't fiction. It's different in the real world. Yeah, it's just not practical. I mean, there's also a million other, you know, hundred other things that are happening in our regular life that, that public safety needs to deal with as well, not just this. Also, the technology isn't really designed for that purpose. The drone doesn't send out an APB for all available units to respond to a sick person. The data that is collected doesn't recognize people. The data that's collected doesn't identify, doesn't use facial recognition. Uh, so, but what does happen is it does come back in the forms of ones and zeros and says, and, and says, okay, social distancing at this time of day or this hour was at this percentage and here was the, the health measurement rates and, and, and it just gives them data, just gives them that information. So it, in terms of the actual social distancing, it does so, show social distancing. It doesn't identify people. Uh, but the idea there is that now you, you actually can show where it's working, where it's not working. And so in the case of things like airports, we're seeing things like monitors being put up with this type of software so that as people are walking through the terminal, they can actually see if they're social distancing or not. So they get a sense of, of it. And so th that's really how the, the, the technology was meant to be used in the, in the public sense. All right, let's meet two people working on similar technology in the field of psychology. 
First, Natalie Recupero. Sure. So my name is Natalie Rousset-Recupero. I'm the clinical director at the Division of Digital Psychiatry, which is based out of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, which is a teaching hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Recupero works on a team developing technologies for mental health care. I think of it as Fitbit for your mind. We have this app that lives on your phone, and we just collect passive and active data um, specifically to help augment the mental health care treatment that we've co-created. So specifically, let's say somebody comes in and they said one of their issues that they have with their life right now is sleeping. Either they're sleeping too much or not sleeping enough. Um, And so we kind of obviously talk in talk therapy. That's a huge part of it um, about what's going on. If there's life stressors, just kind of your kind of what you picture when you think of like talk therapy, the app is very cool because then we say to folks, you know, when you're not in session with me, the clinician, can you log your sleeping patterns every night? So when you wake up, you know, can you tell us when you went to bed and, and, you know, how many hours did you log? Did you take a nap during the day? All of these kind of data points that we wouldn't normally get. And then we kind of talk about what has been going on in the past week or two weeks um, that potentially has impacted those sleeping patterns. Natalie is the clinician. She's working directly with patients talking about their lives and how they feel. The data doesn't lie, right? And so if there is something that you want to keep from your therapist for whatever reason, you still have the option to not log that in. But in this model, patients also interact with a sort of mental health IT department. We actually, I'm the clinician, they meet with me, um, but we actually have a separate person on the care team. It's called a digital navigator. Um, And her role is solely around app questions, app issues. Tony Wood is doing something similar. I'm Tony Wood. I'm the co-founder of Quantify. Quantify is a software company. We started uh, to make AI analytics available to the behavioral health uh, for the efforts of behavioral health. So we wanted to kind of unlock the power of AI to give people uh, more power in monitoring and managing their disease, kind of like a glucometer or a blood pressure cuff for behavioral health. He talks about it as though he's designing mental health video games. Uh, you use an application on your phone or you go to our websites and you sign up and your data is analyzed by our analytics and it's private to you and you're, you're playing a um, optimization game against yourself. So you're not trying to be, you're not trying to fit yourself into some sort of norm. Um, that's, that's, um, you know, you're not, you're not trying to sort of put yourself on a standard, uh, on a standard graph. You're trying to uh, optimize for your own individual health. It's uh, personalized, but it's also very precise. But it's not a game. These are the highest possible stakes. I also happen to be the chair of the board of the American Association of Suicidology. Okay. So what does Wood's software actually do? I mean, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to predict people who have risk, and we've done a good job of that. We publish in papers. And then we're trying to figure out how to deliver digitally mediated interventions that are effective for that individual person. So not just preventing suicide, but improving health. So like imagine the... uh, Imagine an app or a, or a system that just reaches out to you and say, have you walked the dog today? You know, did you, did you remember to have a glass of water? And those kind of little nudges, little tiny movements uh, over a long period of time change the trajectory of people's health. It's, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable thing. It's not a heavy handed uh, 
uh, last moment crisis event that we're looking to try to solve. More on this in just a minute. Exit 43 is a production of Hearst Connecticut Media. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to our newspapers by visiting ctinsider.com. Find more episodes of Exit 43 on our website or wherever you go for podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Welcome back to Exit 43. I'm your guide, Jordan Fenster. You know, Woods said there is some validity to fears of Big Brother. Advertisers have already been paying very close attention to what we do and how we do it, and using that information for their own gain. You buy a toaster online, and you get ads for toasters. And it's just getting more predictive. The larger portion of advertising online is really trying to deliver the right advertisement to you just before you're going to buy a toaster. (laughs) And you wanted a toaster, right? Not, I didn't want a toaster, but now they've talked me into it. Not that. I would like to have a toaster, and I got, and me, the toaster, the toaster maker, got to you right at the right time so that you saw my toaster and compared the, compared the options, and you picked me, right? I mean, that's what they're trying to do, and they're getting better and better, but, you know, the, you've, you've seen the algorithms. They follow us all around. You know, you buy a microwave or a toaster, and they try to sell you toasters for six months. Wood is trying to adapt those same concepts to predict behavioral health crises. They're trying to reach you to get you to buy you know, whatever toaster is you want. They have a business model for that. There is currently no business model for helping people uh, prevent or recover from suicide and finding a way to make that, to align those interests with the platform, with the big platforms has been very challenging. One problem with making healthcare decisions based on data, especially when it comes to public policy, is that it all depends on the data you collect. You don't know what you don't know. We don't have data on minorities. You know, we have data on deaths and stuff like that, right? And we do know that in Chicago, for example, uh, you know, the death rate is 70 to 80% for uh, African-Americans, even though they do not constitute 80% of the population, right? So there are these disproportionate, scary issues. That's Monica Lopez-Anuarbe. I'm an associate professor at Connecticut College, and I'm a health and inequality economist. I'm uh, currently teaching uh, uh, health economics and game theory at Connecticut College, uh, doing it remotely, which is very interesting, to say the least. Lopez Anuarbe studies vulnerable populations, the elderly, for example, and immigrant families. She said data collection can be a challenge. But we know historically, right, that, for example, the African-American uh, community, you know, um, still experiences a lot of institutional racism within the healthcare system. But in the past, right, they, they, they were guinea pigs for some experiments and there were some, um, you know, issues. So, so I understand the reluctance of certain groups, right, uh, trying to get that data, right, because not everybody has, like, I have no problem, right? Okay, but some people have been victimized, historically speaking, so I understand why they would be a little bit afraid and uh, suspicious. COVID-19 has disproportionately affected poorer communities and the elderly, exactly the people who don't use or don't have access to fancy technology. So vulnerable people are not using technology, and now we're relying more on that technology that they're not using. Aren't we making those people more vulnerable? But in the face of a pandemic, it becomes even uh, harder to collect any data, 
right? Because, you know, people are working from home and they don't have the same uh, infrastructure and logistical, you know, uh, uh, platforms, right, to collect this data because the system is partially shut down, right? Wood said that while the digital divide does exist, it might not be as much of a problem in the long term. The penetration of mobile devices among people of all socioeconomic status is rising in a way that is difficult to describe until we reach until we're reaching 99.999 repeating. So the digital divide is still exists and connectivity issues still exist, but even some of the poorest, sickest people have cell phones, um, smartphones, because they use, that's one of the things that they use that's most utility, that has most utility for them to keep in contact with their communities. So there's no question about uh, mobile devices penetrating all over the world. I mean, they're everywhere. In the meantime, advertisers will keep, you know, advertising. The cat is out of the sack. Chell's deal with Westport may have fallen through, but he's working with other communities, though he wouldn't say which ones. We will announce the ones that want to be announced as part of their public awareness campaign, probably over the next couple of uh, weeks here. So I think we learned a lot from Westport. Uh, we learned a lot of what not to do, uh, which was a great lesson. He's also working with private companies. Imagine signing a waiver when you enter a theme park and a drone flies above taking everyone's temperature. You know, there's some, there's some great brand names in there that you would think of. Everything from, you know, workplace safety, conventions, uh, centers, uh, airlines, medical facilities, theme parks. And of course, there are exactly zero laws dealing with this kind of data collection. It's a wild, wild west situation. You know, we don't have a we don't have a lot of laws related to this. There's not a lot of regulation um, there. I don't think there's any, to be honest with you, uh, that I can think of. Before I let you go, we're starting something new with Exit 43. Beginning with the next episode, we'll be doing multi-episode arcs on a theme, like a miniseries. Our first miniseries will be on the theme of inequity. My name is Jordan Fenster. This is Exit 43. And remember, if you have a story you'd like to tell, or if you're just feeling isolated and need to reach out, send me an email at jordan.fenster at hearstmediact.com. Thanks for listening.